Hello listeners, welcome to Let's Talk Defense, Bharat Shakti Dotin's new podcast platform. I have with me Mr. Nitin Gokhale, the editor-in-chief of Bharat Shakti Dotin, and we will be talking about a year after Galwan, what is the situation today along the line of actual control. Before I start, let's put everybody on the same page. First and foremost, I'd like to start by paying my homage to those 20 boys who died there that day a year back. We've had any number of talks with the Chinese at the military commander's level, at the diplomatic level, at the political leader's level. We've also witnessed a limited withdrawal in certain areas, especially in the area of Pangong. So today, let's see how things are, are likely to work out, uh, let's say this year or the next year. Nitin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brigadier uh, Chatterjee. Uh, this is an important uh, first anniversary of the Galwan clash and I'm glad to be on this podcast. Uh, Nitin, my first issue is uh, how do you read the situation now and uh, give us an idea about how the Indians have responded to the Chinese build-up and the possibility of another build-up this year which has already perhaps started. You rightly mentioned uh, a limited disengagement in Pengangso and on the south bank, south and north bank of Pengangso in, uh, in January and February this year. After 11 rounds of talks, uh, remember, uh, that uh, both the sides decided that at least the very close deployments that they had on the Kailash range and in Pengangso should be withdrawn and they should go back at least some way back into their own depth area. So that has happened. But uh, the uh, overall strength of the Chinese deployment uh, army and the Air Force deployments in Aksai Chin and in Tibet uh, hasn't gone down, if at all. The Chinese have rotated their troops, brought in fresh soldiers and fresh formations uh, and have started their annual exercises that they do every year in the spring and summer months. And so have the Indians. Now, uh, until 2020, India had a presence of only one division strength in Ladakh after the entire Eastern Ladakh uh, line of actual control with China. But since uh, the standoff, there has been a rethinking uh, and reorientation of uh, more forces uh, in Ladakh. And now there is a, an additional division that has been deployed uh, in Ladakh. So they have divided the uh, jurisdiction to north of Pengangso and south of Pengangso, giving adequate uh, reserves uh, being kept in the rear and well-acclimatized troops in case there is a further development or further tension that develops in the coming months. What will happen this year? Well, it is anybody's guess, but I am certain that the Chinese will not like to repeat what they did last year in 2020, simply because India is now more than prepared to not just take on the Chinese, but also perhaps do some quid pro quos like it did in the Kailash range, taking the Chinese by surprise. So I don't think the Chinese will do anything in Ladakh or in the eastern Ladakh itself. But uh, India will have to keep a watch on what happens in the eastern sector, in Arunachal Pradesh and Sikkim and maybe even in Uttarakhand. That is uh, my assessment. And I think uh, the Indian military, uh, the Army and the Air Force and the Navy have learnt uh, many lessons from the Galwan standoff and the Galwan clash and the uh, Ladakh standoff. And uh, appropriate measures have been taken. So I think the build-up should not be uh, worrying the Indian planners. What should worry the Indian planners is that the Chinese uh, are not going back. Not going back means we uh, it will have to be continued, the deployment that India has brought in, additional deployment. That is going to be a challenging thing to do, uh, a challenging task to carry out because of 
logistics issues as we know because of the weather and otherwise but that challenge will have to be met that is the current reality bigde chat i'll take it a little further beyond uh, air itself nitin uh, what about the eastern sector what about the central sector just give us a broad overview so uh, in the eastern sector what they have done is they have also now uh, designated the 17 mountain strike corps as the a formation under eastern command so there is an additional force available there in uttarakhand there has been a strengthening of the defenses uh, one more division has been put into eastern sector in addition to two brigades that were already there two independent brigades uh, i'm talking about boots on the ground and uh, in ladakh itself as i mentioned apart from the two divisions that will be permanently present in the north and south of pengangso there will be uh, additional troops available to the northern army commander Uh, from different formations one core which is based in mathura is now reoriented towards taking on uh, the chinese challenge rather than looking at pakistan uh, as uh, its primary task although it is still dual task so uh, that reorientation uh, and the rebalance is complete uh, and the air force is already aware of what's happening so therefore they are also geared up to meet any challenge across the northern frontier the air force uh, treats the entire uh, border as one theater rather than uh, the commands uh, that uh, indian army has but overall as i mentioned uh, adequate measures have been taken to uh, meet uh, any chinese misadventurism uh, unlike uh, what the situation was last year where initially india was caught by surprise there's no doubt about it but uh, india responded adequately and surprised the chinese with the speed and the scale of the response is what we know uh, and we are talking on the day when 20 indian soldiers were killed in action but they also gave it back as as good as they got in fact killed more chinese soldiers perhaps chinese will never acknowledge how many soldiers were killed except for the four that they have admitted but uh, by all accounts they lost more than 40 soldiers in that galwan clash which has sent ripples in the pla and which will have some long term effect is what uh, other military observers are saying so having said this uh let's uh, expand the horizon and uh, let us look at this bigger strategy what is your view about the chinese tendency to be aggressive in opening up multiple fronts not just uh, against india but other uh, nations around it and other adversaries that it has and uh, one of the, and the uh, sort of trying to uh, take on uh, multiple adversaries in one go uh, what is their strategic interest in doing so or what is the strategic objective in doing so what do you feel uh, look to start with the strategic objective of course is to become uh, well the number one world power or at least share the position with the united states but uh, to talk about the aggressive part of what has been displayed so far i think it's primarily limited to the indo tibet border as also the south and east china sea there are three alternatives that are available with the chinese or three areas of interest let's call it at this time and not call it as alternatives uh, the first is of course the taiwan island uh, the second is the senkaku island in east china sea and then you have this land border between india and tibet uh, to go down to taiwan first uh, that is their core interest and that is their first priority as i see it but uh, then any invasion across the 100 mile wide taiwan strait really calls for a very I mean, complex operation which uh, requires a huge amount of resources, and then how will the Americans react to their trying to overwhelm Taiwan? Is of course a very big issue for the Chinese. The Americans may not have a pact with the uh, Taiwanese to be really 
fielding troops over there, but I'm sure the Americans will have to field troops because the whole world order, American-led world order is going to rattle in case they are able to attack Taiwan. So Taiwan, though, remains the first priority, I would say, is also the biggest uh, uh, challenge that they have amongst this thing. Uh, to go down to Senkaku Islands, well, Senkaku Islands, you know, they, they have been trying to get, grab this island for quite some time, but then the, as far as the Japanese are concerned, they're also very sure they're not going to let this island go. In fact, there was a beautiful article I read in this magazine, uh, War on the Rock, and there the author uh, talks about three phases of approach of the Chinese to the Senkaku Island. The first, he says, is normalize its presence. You know, they've been sending their Coast Guard vehicles over there, Coast Guard ships over there for some time, and they've been staying there. And the second stage, he says, is to excise control, which is what they're trying to do now. They're trying right. to drive away the Japanese uh, vessels which come over there. And the last and final stage would be taking control of the island. The Chinese will try that. And if they try and take control, I see no other way but a war over there in Senkaku. Coming down to now the home front in Ladakh, well, uh, the way we are deployed, and you just gave out all the details of the deployment that we have all along the northern borders, northeastern borders, etc. Uh, it's going to be a huge attrition battle. It's going to be a grinding battle. And... I doubt whether, uh, I admit that the Chinese have a certain amount of technical superiority as far as we are concerned in their forces. But up in those mountains, what matters is the men most. And uh, even with our men not being exactly equally well equipped, I would say we are reasonably well equipped to resist China and avoid and deny them any prize that at the end of it we should sure. come to them. Uh, they, have, okay, they should have no doubts about it. So that's yeah. the overall situation that I see. I can see that. And in fact, uh, if uh, if you really look at uh, what uh, what is happening is uh, the Chinese deployment last year, and as a military man, you would know this, uh, was basically uh, trying to coerce India militarily rather than, you know, uh, look at any, uh, launching any war or any offensive against India. Because for that, they will require many more troops. Uh, many more formations uh, to have a decisive edge over India in Ladakh, even in, when they took us by surprise. Therefore, I don't think they're interested in a full-fledged war. The Chinese way of war fighting these days uh, is dominated by uh, the thought of winning without fighting. So, and therefore, I think uh, they have this uh, issue of, uh, you know, uh, whether they can take on uh, the physical battle. They would ra rather have uh, these standoff weapons and non-contact warfare as their main trust against anybody. So we'll have to wait and watch how it goes. But India will have to, uh, of course, uh, prepare itself better and equip itself better, as you have already mentioned. I think uh, that is something that uh, we can uh, say safely on the first anniversary of Galwan, I guess. Right. Uh, let, me, let me take you to China now a little bit and try and read the Chinese mind, try and read the Xi Jinping's mind, what's going on there in his head. You see, there is a lot of cohesion amongst uh, a lot of countries and a lot of groups. And it's mostly anti-China as it's coming up today. Whether you're talking about the Quad, I think one of the biggest drivers to Quad is actually China and not the four constituents of the uh, Quad as such. Similarly, you find the G7 coming out with a statement that they're going to make uh, B3W uh, build back better. Yeah. Uh, what they're talking about and they're talking about billions of dollars trillions of dollars worth of investment in this and this is going to be a parallel to the belt and road initiative so uh, with the whole world coalescing against china and i'm just talking about that part of the world which is militarily more powerful 
and economically more powerful, those countries getting together against China. Is there a reason for Xi Jinping to uh, carry out a reset, reprioritize uh, his approach and uh, his ambitions? I think, uh, incidentally, it is uh, 15 June is Xi Jinping's birthday, by the way, uh, just as an aside. And uh, I think uh, he uh, is increasingly isolated in uh, the power structure within China is what my uh, assessment is. Despite his uh, supreme leader image and supreme leader position, uh, there are uh, more than enough uh, people who are waiting for his downfall or even plotting his downfall because he is... Uh, arrogated too much power unto himself. So he will look around and see uh, what does he have uh, to see in the positive light. Well, he has only two allies really, North Korea and Pakistan, or friends, uh, and no allies really. And uh, the entire world seems to be ganging up against uh, China because of his actions, because of his aggressive and belligerent behavior. So therefore, he may uh, start to rethink whether this is the right approach or not. I'm sure he's getting a lot of advice on that. But given his background and his nature, I'm sure he's not going to back down from this, even if it takes down China, or even if it take takes China down on a, on a path that is self-destructive. Uh, so therefore, China is in a very vulnerable position, is what I would conclude, uh, as we uh, you know, finish this uh, podcast, really, because of internal the more stronger Xi Jinping appears, I think uh, more vulnerable he and China is uh, because of various factors, both internal and external, because the world is ganging up against China. Internally, he uh, may appear strong, but there are enough forces and enough segments of the uh, power structure which are against him. And therefore, at the very moment when he appears to be the strongest, I think uh, Xi Jinping has made himself vulnerable and as a prime target for both external and internal adversaries. Right, uh, uh, Nitin, I think we'll wind up over here for today. And uh, thank you, you listeners. Thanks for joining us. And please do like us and please do log in time and again. And you'll find such interesting discussions going on on this channel. Thanks, Nitin. Thank you, Brigadier Chatterjee.